This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Welcome Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman from Gift of the Givers to further unpack everything going on in India while also giving us some insight as to what Gift of the Givers is doing to help. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the COVID report. To start our discussion, could you please give us a picture of the state of the COVID-19 pandemic in India currently, according to your own observations, and also talk us through what prompted Gift of the Givers to step in and provide assistance. Uh, thank you, Game, and thank you, Karabo. The feedback that we're getting from India is that what you're seeing on the international media is only a percentage of what's really happening. The people we're speaking to is saying it's a crisis, it's heartbreaking, it's an apocalypse. Those are the languages being used. The cases of reaching 400,000 yesterday is also not the true figure. The amount of infected people and the amount of deaths is far higher that is being reported. That's because a lot of deaths are not recorded. People are dying at home, dying in the car parks, dying in the rickshaw, moving between places. And India is a big country, 1.4 billion people. It's almost impossible to get a record of everyone in every area. It is basically two main things. The oxygen. People are just gasping for death because of no oxygen. And wherever they go, moving hospital to hospital in need of oxygen, And of course, to deliver oxygen, you need an oxygen delivery device. So those are the two main requirements in India. And of course, they don't have it. The hospital beds are full. There's no turnover of patients. Patients can't come in. And they now have to have a system where they can try to take oxygen concentrators and oxygen tanks to people, to their homes, to make sure that they can get some kind of care in their homes because there's just no place in the hospitals. Some areas more affected than others. It's total carnage. It's getting worse. And they even haven't reached the peak yet, according to their own scientists, to their own doctors, and their own people in the health on the ground. So it looks like this is going to be a major, major problem. They even say they're not over-exaggerating, but they think they're going to reach a million cases a day very soon. And Dr. Cinnamon, in your response, you have mentioned all the interventions that the government is taking to actually manage the situation. You hinted at India's population being around 1.4 billion as it stands. And there are, of course, public health measures being taken in India to curb the spread. However, looking at it from a citizen's perspective, what, in your opinion, do you think they are doing differently? Why is there this cascade of cases we're seeing in India now? Are people adhering to the COVID regulations? What is India doing that other countries are not doing? India seemed to be doing well earlier. I think at some point, the Prime Minister also mentioned that things are under control, things are going well, things are okay. And then suddenly, it was a time for a religious event. And it was said it's okay to have the religious event. And within a short space of time, they say roughly 10 million people gathered without masks, without social distancing in the religious gathering. And also, there were political rallies a short while ago. In all those conditions, or those cases, or the incidences, no masks were used, there were no social distancing. And because of that, those are super spreader events. And it went like crazy. Remember the figures that we're getting, as I mentioned, are not the correct figures because they're running out of test kits also. And to be honest, after 300,000 or 400,000, what difference does it really make? It tells you there's a lot of people in need. And you can see the people in need when they come to the hospital. And it's impossible to try to assess so many hospitals so rapidly. When you're overrun with infection like that, you don't have time for a breather. Your healthcare personnel don't have time to relax. They're exhausted. 
there's no bed space, oxygen may be available. And we actually found out that oxygen is available in India, but the logistic issue and the infrastructure doesn't allow it to get to all those places so quickly. And in this kind of situation where it's long distances and so many people affected, let me give you an example. If you use a high-flow nasal oxygen machine and you have 10,000 machines like that throughout the country, that's excluding all the other oxygen required by other machines. It excludes oxygen required for normal non-COVID cases in ICU and other conditions requiring oxygen. What happens to the country? They just don't have the means, the capacity, and the speed to get oxygen delivered to all those places so fast. So it's a real challenge. Although they have enough oxygen inside, they have to import oxygen from outside to make it easy to serve all the hospitals. Very insightful stuff. Now, Dr. Suleiman, for the benefit of those listening right now who might not be entirely familiar with Gift of the Givers as an organization and what they do, could you please tell us more about Gift of the Givers as an organization and how you are able to extend assistance to different people faced with different tragedies in different areas of the world? Gift of the Givers is essentially a disaster relief organization. We specialize in disasters. We came into being on the 6th of August, 1992. I was in Turkey. I met a spiritual teacher. I met him for the second time. I met him the year before. But when I met him for the second time on the 6th of August, 1992, he just gave me a spiritual instruction. I had no plan to form an organization to sit and do this kind of things. Yes, I helped people here and there. I did some kind of relief before that crisis in India, in Iraq, in Bangladesh, in Mozambique. But I had no intention to set up any organization. And that Thursday night, after a prayer session at 10 p.m., he looks me in the eye and he says, My son, I'm not asking you. I'm instructing you to form an organization. The name in Arabic will be Wakful Wakifin. Translated, it means gift of the givers. You will serve all people of all races, of all religions, of all colors, all classes, and all cultures, of any political affiliation, and of any geographical location. But you will serve them unconditionally. You will expect nothing in return, not even a thank you. In fact, in what you're going to be doing for the rest of your lives, expect to get a kick up your back. If you don't get a kick up your back, regard it as a bonus. Serve people with love, kindness, compassion, and mercy. And remember, the dignity of man is foremost. So if someone is down in the ground, don't push them down. Lift them, elevate them. Wipe the tear of a grieving child. Caress the head of an orphan. Say words of good counsel to a widow. These things are free. They don't cost anything. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and provide water to the thirsty. And in everything that you do, be the best at what you do, not because of ego, but because you're dealing with human life, human emotion, and human dignity. And whatever you do, my son, remember this, that everything is done through you and not by you. There is no place for ego. This was an instruction that he gave it to me in full Turkish. I don't understand a word of Turkish. But I understood every single word that he said. And I asked him, how is it possible that I don't don't speak Turkish, but I understand when you speak to me in Turkish? He said, my son, when the hearts connect and the souls connect, 
the words become understandable. I asked him, what do you mean by have to form this organization and serve people? Serve them in which form? Do what? Is it food? Is it blankets? Is it HIV? Is it old age homes? Is it counseling? Which aspect of service are you referring to? He told me one line, you will know. Believe me, in 28 years, I do know what to do, when to do, how to do. The moment I walked out of there, the first project came into my hands. We need to respond to the civil war in Bosnia, to which we responded. And it sort of gave me the direction that gift of the givers is going to be primarily a disaster intervention organization. And that has been our history for almost 29 years on 6 August this year. But around that, we do lots of other things. Counseling, food parcels, feeding schemes, sports development, drought, agriculture, housing, education, bursaries, and a range of other things. Different types of wheelchair distribution, intervention in health in the country, just a range of things that gender-based violence projects, 21 different types of projects, each one came in a period of time as the years progress, but essentially our specialization is in disaster intervention. And just latching on to your response there, Dr. Silliman, about Gift of the Giver specializing in disasters. I mean, it's safe to assume that with everything the country has experienced in 2020 because of the pandemic, an organization like Gift of the Givers would be proficient in tackling a possible third wave. So now my question to you is, are you as an organization proactive in providing assistance that would rather see communities less impacted by the third wave? Or are you reactive in your response? Because there have been talks about a looming third wave in South Africa. So what are your plans as an organization to actually tackle the challenge if and when it comes? COVID can be averted best by disciplined behavior. We can't control people's behavior. Nobody can. That's one of the reasons they have the problem in India right now. And that's the reason we have the second wave. People have to be disciplined. You can't enforce that, unfortunately. You can talk about it. Everybody talks about it. It's on every radio station. It's on ads. It's on TV. It's on public. It's in schools. Everybody does that. But to what extent people are going to be disciplined, we can't enforce that. We don't know. All you can do in our case Proactively, yes, you can say, please be careful. Make sure you wear the mask. Make sure when you go home and if 15 of you work in 15 different companies that you all take precautions in your home. Make sure you wash. Make sure you don't touch your face. Make sure you don't go out unnecessarily. Make sure you avoid crowds. You can keep saying that and everybody has been saying that since March last year. We still had the first wave and we still had the second wave. So whilst you are trying to promote a message of being careful, you have to promote a message and you have to be prepared for what happens when you don't follow the message. And in our case, immediately when the president announced on 15 March last year that COVID is going to be declared a national disaster tonight, it means you need to take preemptive action. On the 16th of March, we started setting up testing centers. On the 17th of March, we started looking at how can we get PPEs because the whole world was shutting down. The whole world was buying off the richer countries, were buying off the PPEs that were coming out of China because they needed it as a priority for their countries. Everybody wanted the same stuff at the same time from the same place, and it just wasn't enough. And the airports were closing and the planes were not flying. Because of our 28-year history and experience in disasters, we procured the stuff and we got it within the first three days. Stuff was starting to come in. We got involved in supporting 210 hospitals in the country with PPEs of the various types. 
with supported pulse oximeters. It is important to detect you know, the oxygen saturation, which you could die from that if nobody knew oxygen saturation and it was too low. We gave out non-contact thermometers. We even made scrubs. Everybody wanted scrubs. We had surgical masks, steep line masks, KN95 masks, N95 masks, and then the high-level Halyard masks, sterile gloves, coveralls, all those things were done. And whilst we were progressing with that, we realized that let's support hospitals' infrastructure. And we took one ward of Mitchell's Pain Hospital, we spent 10 million rand, and we converted the ward that was disused into a 60-bed dedicated oxygen facility. We did we support a status hospital with something similar with 20 beds, high care and oxygen points. We took Bishop Hospital, we put a 120 bed facility for COVID-19 there, what oxygen points. And we renovated a building for doctors' quarters because doctors who were coming there refused to stay in the hospital. They said there's no proper accommodation and they were all leaving, which meant there was not enough medical personnel to take care of the patients. And we upgraded a doctor's quarters at a cost of 3 million rand. And also we just did recently something in Glen Grey Hospital and Grey Hospital. So infrastructure upgrade is something that we're still looking at at other hospitals, depending on the funding. That was from the medical point of view. We even gave video laryngoscopes. And then in December, we managed to secure 2,500 CPAP machines at the height of the crisis where people were dying because there was not enough oxygen and not enough machines to develop oxygen. And we got the CPAP machines from Solidarity Fund, from CSIR, from the Ventilator Group, from the Department of Trade and Industry, and we rolled them out in 10 days to six provinces. And every hospital was waving. We've sent us a machine that saves lives. What we've done from the beginning till now is something we don't have to change. It's a formula that works. We're ready. We're stocking up with all the PPEs. We've got the CPAP machines, which, of course, most hospitals have now. We've produced more scrubs. Everything that's required that was required in the first and second wave, we're on standby. We have it. And we're still looking, considering which other hospitals to upgrade, depending on what funding we get. We already have requests from hospitals, and we got the plans, we got the costing, and if more funding comes, we will upgrade those hospitals, which will benefit the medical staff as well as the patients when the third wave hits us. It's not if, it is going to hit us. Now, Dr. Suleiman, without running the risk of treading over ground that we've already covered, I would like to get further insight from you as far as the situation out in India, particularly when we think about this new variant that has emerged out of India that has caused this sudden surge in recorded cases and unfortunate COVID-related deaths in that part of the world. In your medical opinion, Dr. Suleiman, do you think the sudden rise in cases in India is something that could have been avoided? We mentioned that the country of India is a very massively populated country. They are just entering election season in that part of the world, which does require the mass gathering of people, so to speak. And I'm curious to further find out from you, Doctor, as far as your insight and your views on India's attitude to the virus before and during this pandemic particularly as a result of this new fresh wave of new infections? And if there were already measures or restrictions put in place to control the spread of the virus, do you think the people of India did a good job of obeying those restrictions and doing everything necessary to avoid the situation that they're in at this moment? It doesn't look that way. Because to have those kind of infections from a low base means something went wrong. The virus only causes damage if it gets a host. The host is the human being. 
And the way to get the human being as a host, it has to jump from one human being to another human being. And the only way it can do that is either airborne or if you're very close to each other, if you don't have the mask, if you don't sanitize after a sneeze, somebody sneeze around in the area, and because you don't have a mask, you could catch a big viral load. You haven't washed your hands, you touch the surface. Although they're saying now surface is not so important spread, but it's possible to touch an infected surface. You don't have a mask on, you touch your face with your hands that touch another infected area. So it's spread through airborne, which we find is very, very important now. The viral load is important, but that happens simply because you didn't take the precaution. You didn't cover your face and you were not far enough from a person. And then, of course, there could be two or three people. That's understandable. But when you have a million people on each other, or 100,000 people on each other, that is a significant problem. It's common scientific knowledge that the virus spreads because of these conditions. We, I haven't been following the India thing, only it's now. We never took any interest in other countries to, to a large extent because we were too busy with our own country. But all it tells me is that for this condition to happen is because people didn't follow the rules. And secondly, the strain is a very potent strain that's causing so much of damage and so much of death. And the same thing in South Africa. We were doing well with the first phase. And suddenly we had super spread events. It just captured us and it ran like wild throughout the country. It ran everywhere. Now, of course, the Indian strain is, is going out of the country and all the countries want to close their borders because people are finding positive cases. In South Africa itself, in the last few days, they found people of positive who've come from India, but they need to do the typing to see if it is that exact same virus that is so aggressive in India or is it some other virus. They have different mutations. Some are very severe. Some are not. But the one that we worried about is the one in India that's so aggressive. The strange thing is that that virus in India right now that's causing so much damage seems to be fairly similar to the one that we had in the second wave. It seems to do the same kind of thing. People come to hospitals, quite fine, talking okay, happy, and suddenly drop dead. People with no comorbidities. It affected younger people. It affected people who were fit and previously with no disease, and people who have been vaccinated also have been taken ill. We're not sure how ill they got with the vaccines, but it's that kind of pattern. It seems to be very similar, and the scientists will know better. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a scientist. They will give you more information. But just the basic information I have is following that kind of pattern. The other worrying thing unrelated to India is the virus in Brazil, where it's found, and it's still the beginning, maybe all the cases are not recorded, but 1,500 children under the age of five have died because of the virus. Are we going to get something similar here? I can't tell you. The new waves that's going to come here, is it going to mutate further? I can't tell you. If it mutates further, is it going to cause the same kind of problem that it has been caused in, in Brazil? We don't know. We don't want to know. The only way to not want to know is to make sure that we all take the precautions. There is time. There is opportunity. We have enough to learn from what we've seen in India. We are responsible for our own activity and what happens to us. If we don't hit the call, don't hit the rules, we're going to become part of the statistics. And that is a fact. And Dr. Silliman, if people would like to contribute towards assisting India, how can they reach you? What contact details can you give us that pertain to the gift of the givers as an organization? It's simple. They can call my toll-free line, 800 786 911, or visit our website and social media pages. All the details are there. Our focus for India primarily is two types, how to get oxygen and how to get oxygen delivery devices. Contrary to what is believed, that there is a shortage of oxygen in India. We have found 
that there are companies that have oxygen in India, but there is just a problem with delivery. The logistics and infrastructure is a problem. We are trying to trace those companies that have the oxygen and those companies that have the transport mechanism to transport that oxygen. And then finding organizations on the ground, we've already found them, who are coordinating oxygen delivery to homes and to hospitals. To homes, it's two types. Either oxygen concentrators, which right now have to be imported from outside India and we're buying them in South Africa. And oxygen concentrators are given to people who have electricity. Oxygen cylinders are given to those people who don't have electricity. And so we're busy tracing where the oxygen is coming from, the transport who can carry it, and the third-party organizations that can deliver. Those are the one aspect of oxygen. The oxygen delivery devices, we're already purchasing oxygen concentrators, and we've spoken again to the Solidarity Fund, Department of Health, the National Ventilator Group, Department of Trade and Industry, and SAPRA. They're the CPAP machines that were given to us last year. There's 9,000 still available. If we can get that sent to India, and we had a serious meeting about that where registration has to be looked at, registration for external use, India has to approve the machine, and India has to then register it as used in their own country. These are all the important things going on right now, and everybody's trying to work quite fast to fulfill all the rules if the machines are required. Those are very important machines for India to save life. And we've just come upon another device. It's called Oxero, also a South African production, uses 10 to 15 liters of oxygen per minute, very, very useful, been used in South Africa, designed in South Africa, and it already has registration by SAPRA for external use, for foreign use. We've sent that to the Indian government also. If they're happy with that, then we have the option of oxygen concentrators, CPAP machines, and Oxero. In addition to that, we just got a list right now from the health ministry from Maharashtra, where Bombay is. They also require masks, coveralls, PPEs, pulse oximeters, antiviral drugs. Whatever we can support, to the extent we can support, without harming our preparations for our third wave, we will do that. A very powerful, insightful conversation we have just had with Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman from Gift of the Givers. Just to remind you of the toll-free number that he just shared with us, if you'd like to get in touch with Gift of the Givers and find out how you can give your assistance to the efforts being made by Gift of the Givers to help out the people of India that have been so tragically impacted and affected by the fresh wave of COVID infections and COVID-related deaths in that part of the world. The number to dial is 800 786 911. That is 0800-786-911. As I said, we have just been in conversation with Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman from Gift of the Givers, talking to us here on the COVID report about the situation in India and what Gift of the Givers as an organization is doing as part of their bid to provide assistance. Doctor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the valuable insight you have given us into the work that you are doing with Gift of the Givers. Thank you so much also for sharing the very powerful moment that formed the genesis, so to speak, of Gift of the Givers. I certainly believe, and I'm sure Karabo will agree with me, that the story that you shared as far as how Gift of the Givers was started can serve as a beacon of inspiration for anyone and everyone listening right now at this moment in time. So again, one more time, Dr. Suleiman, thank you so much for joining us here on the COVID report. Thank you, Kim, and thank you, Karabo. Thanks for the interview. And, you know, greetings to all of South Africa. The third wave is on its way. In fact, we had your dean of your medical school said it's already here in three provinces. All of us, please take precautions. We cannot afford to lose another academic year. We cannot afford a further lockdown. 
There's been too many job losses and too much hunger and too much of pain and suffering. Let's do the responsible thing and we can avert something major like what's happening in India. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. Or stream by www.vafm.co.za.